All right. Good morning, Tomoke. How's everybody doing? Worship was awesome, wasn't it? That was good. Hey, we had to do something today we haven't gotten to do, we haven't been able to do in a while. And so today we've got uh, the folks in Palm Bay and the folks in Deland, as well as our folks online joining us. So if you wouldn't mind, I'd like for everybody here in Norman just to welcome everybody in Deland and Palm Bay online. Give them a big hand. Thank you guys for being a part. So we are in the book of Acts as we continue our, uh, as we continue our study. We'll be in Acts, uh, the end of Acts 21 and end in Acts 22 as we continue to work our way through the book of Acts. Last week, last week, if you were here or if you listened, uh, we were talking about Acts. Paul's made his way back to Jerusalem and it's the last time he gets to live as a free man. Uh, he spends the last part of his life now pretty much in chains, in bondage, as a prisoner, uh, because of the, because of the work that he's done and the, and the, the gospel that he shares. And so we're going to pick up that narrative today as we walk through the rest of this story of Paul there in Jerusalem. But let me ask you a question. How many of you've ever, how many of you've raised adult children or children to adulthood? All right. And how many of your children were the kind of children that would come to you and tell you they've got great plans for their life, right? And how many of you had to bite your tongue when it came to not telling them how stupid those plans were, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but I mean, how many of you are the kind of people like to plan things out? And how many of you are the kind of people that just work by the seat of your pants? Yeah, my people, woo, right, right? But most people are planners, right? Have a plan, work the plan, the plan will work, right? Uh, it's amazing how many people have plans. I mean, even, even, even some of you, right, were, some of you planners were silly enough to marry dreamers, right? The people that, that, that sort of are chaos people and those things can be difficult, right? But it's amazing how many of our plans seem like a great idea to us, right? We make a plan, seems like a great idea, we pitch it to somebody else, and they don't agree with you that it's such a great plan, right? I remember growing up, you know, we were poor, we had one car, and and then eventually my dad got a second car, but it wasn't a great car, didn't work really well, right? And so I wasn't able to drive it. The problem was I was 16 years old and had a girlfriend, right? And so my parents said I could go out with my girlfriend either Friday night or Saturday night, right? Seemed like a good plan to them. I thought it was stupid, okay? So I worked a better plan, right? So I took the car to go out with my girlfriend on a Friday night. And then I had my buddy David pick me up on Saturday night and told my mom, I'm going out with my friends tonight. Will you make sure that you're not seeing your girlfriend? Yes, mom. And mom, I'm sorry about this, okay? Uh, but <laughs> this is the problem, confessing sins. Now she hears all of it, right? Um, but I had my buddy pick me up, and then I would drop him off in town to go hang with whoever, and then he'd give me the keys to his car, and I'd go see my girlfriend, right? It was a great plan, right? Here was the problem. It was such a good plan, I couldn't keep it to myself, so I told my sister Melissa, Dumb plan, right? And then one day, it was raining. It was time for me to go out. The only thing we had was that second car that my dad bought. It was a Rambler. Anybody remember the Rambler? 
Yeah. And not only was it a Rambler, it had vacuum wipers on it. Right? That the wipers worked on a vacuum seal. The problem with the vacuum seal was broke and wasn't working. And it was raining like crazy. And dad had told my mom, do not let Cord take that car no matter what. And so I told mom it was time to go out. I was going to take the car. She said, no, you're not. And we had a massive issue, fight. And my sister decided that was the night that she was going to reveal my great plan to my mom. Right? Well, he's not going to go out. Right? He Don't worry, mom. She said he didn't have to go out with his girlfriend tonight. He's going to go out with her tomorrow night. Right? And my mom's like, what? And she goes, oh, yeah. She goes, he just catches a ride to town and then bums somebody's car to go out and see her anyway. Plan ruined. Right? You know, it's amazing how many of our plans we think are great plans. I want to read this scripture to you. So if you're in Palm Bay, land online, or right here in Norman, I'd like you to read this screen with me. It says this, as for God, his way is, and the word of the Lord is flawless. So wherever you're at, watching today, listening today, let me ask you a question. How many of you believe that God's way is perfect? Right? And if, listen, if you're not, if you're not a church person, not a believer in Jesus, either in Palm Bay, Deland, online, or here in Ormond. I said, we're glad you're here. You don't have to, you don't have to raise your hand because of prayer pressure, okay? If you don't believe that God's way is perfect, that's fine. But I've never, ever, ever asked a church audience, do you believe that God's way is perfect and the church not say, amen, right? God's way is perfect, correct? Right? The story today, right, as we continue this narrative in the book of Acts, right, in Paul's narrative, I think what I want to do is I want to use that verse and show you how at times God's perfect ways at times can be incredibly challenging to me and you. Not just to Paul, but to me and you as well. So we're going to look at a few texts. The text area is much too large for us to read it together. So I'm just going to pull, pull a few out. And we're gonna, we're gonna look at three areas that I think challenge you and me to really believe whether God's way is perfect. So I mean, if you believe God's way is perfect, say amen. amen. All right. Let's look at this first point. God's allowance. What God does, what does God allow? So last week, Paul, remember the situation, comes back from Jerusalem, got a huge bag of money. The Gentiles have been gracious and kind to give money to help the poor in Jerusalem. What a win. The Jews hated the, the Gentiles. The Gentiles hear the gospel, come to faith in Christ. And out of their poverty and out of their generosity and faith, they collect money to send to Jerusalem to help those who are living there impoverished. Paul can't wait to get back and celebrate that win. So he gets back to Jerusalem, tells the elders of the church, you can't believe the amazing things that God's done. The elders celebrate that and then they say, hey, we got a problem. The Christians who are Jews in Jerusalem think you hate them. They think you don't want him to be a Jew, and they're really upset. Now you're back. They're going to have a big town hall meeting about it. So the elders ask Paul, can you do us a favor to calm them down? Go to the temple with these boys who are finishing their vow. Pay for their stuff. Finish it out with them. And then the Jews who are Christians will see you and go, oh, those rumors are false. And Paul, incredibly does the right thing. He does the bigger thing. And he does the, and here's the thing. It takes Paul 7 days and lots of time and money to to fulfill this request, but he does it. He does it anyway. 
And then listen to what happens. This is what happens in Acts 21 after he's gone through all those hoops. It says this. Next day, Paul took these men and purified himself along with them. And then he went to the temple, right, to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end. And the offering would be made for each of them. Paul had to pay for the offering for each of these people, right? He says, when the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia. So these aren't Jews from Jerusalem that Paul was appeasing. These were Jews from Asia, most likely from Ephesus. They saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd. So they got the Jews who were Christians stirred up and they seized him. Goes on to say, the whole city was aroused. The people came running from all directions. They seized Paul. They drag him from the temple and immediately the gates are shut. While they were trying to kill him, it says. So, I want to ask you something. How many of you have ever been in a situation, right, where you had to choose to be the bigger person? Right? And how many of you chose to be the bigger person in that situation? Right? I don't know about you, but when you choose to be the bigger person, whether it's in a conversation or a situation, don't you sort of expect some good to happen on the other side of being the bigger person, right? I do, right? When you choose to be the bigger person, you're in an argument, you're in a fight, right? In a heated discussion, and this conversation can go one or two ways, you choose to be the bigger person. Right? You choose to take the fall. You choose to fall on your sword and say, that's on me. Don't you sort of expect a response, a return that says, wow, thank you. That was really, really kind of you. Really made me think about me. Right? I don't know about you, but when I, when I'm the bigger person, I guess I expect some positive things afterwards. Right? Paul was the bigger person. Listen, Paul, had already been beaten, left for dead, right? He goes on these missionary journeys, plants all these churches, comes back with a huge win for the church in Jerusalem with all this money, and is and then he's asked, can you please make sure the Jews who are Christians aren't mad at you anymore? And he does it. And the very next thing that happens is that God God allows him to be seized by a crazy crowd, and they're trying to kill him. I don't know about you, but if I was Paul at that point in time, I don't know if I'd have believed God's ways are perfect, right? It doesn't seem right to me, right? I don't know about you, but I think I think most people like a formula, a plan, right? If you work the plan, the plan will work for you, right? How many of you ever tried to lose weight, right? Anybody in here currently trying to lose weight, right? So I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to... I'm trying to lose some weight, get in shape. You pick the word, right? I'm just trying not to end up 400 pounds, okay? And so I'm, I, I do keto. Anybody here ever do keto diet? I, and some of you are like, and please don't email me later and go, keto is the dumbest diet in the world. Okay, don't do that, right? But I'm trying to do keto, right? And here's the thing about keto, just like anything. It's got a great plan. If you work the plan, the plan works. I've done it several times. It works. It's just hard to maintain, right? Like last night at 1130. (laughs) 
It's really hard to maintain. It'd been a long day, right? It'd been a long day, right? And when I got home, we had our, we had our four-year-old grandson. He's a handful, right? And when everybody got to bed, I got to sit down and relax and watch some college football and watch Georgia kill Florida, right? I'm sorry, right? And I was hungry, and there was plenty of keto in the fridge, right? But you know what wasn't in the fridge? A new Pizza Hut melt, right? It wasn't in there. So 31 minutes later, DoorDash came and brought me a, brought me a pizza melt. And not only did he bring me a pizza melt, they gifted me a 10-pack of Cinnabon right with it, right? See, here's the thing about a plan, right? You got to work the plan to make the plan work, right? I think for a lot of people, we want God to work within a plan, right? Listen, if you do A plus B in the Christian faith, God will give you C. And listen, some of you sitting in here, some of you in Deland, Palm Bay, online, some of you think you've worked a formula and it just works, right? You've done this and you've done that and God's given you this. And because other people aren't seeing that success, you're tempted to believe they're just not working the plan well, right? And some of you know you've done A, know you've done B, and God isn't giving you C. Instead, he's giving you D, right? Divorce. He's giving you H, right? Havoc, right? He's giving you W. He's made your life a wreck. And you know that you've worked the plan, but the plan hasn't worked for you. Because here's the thing. God doesn't work within a plan that way we think God works within a plan. Listen to what Job said, right? How many of you are familiar with the book of Job, right? Job was a righteous man. So righteous, in fact, that he even offered sacrifices just in case his children sinned. He was as faithful, a righteous man. And what does God do? He allows Satan to come in, take the lives of his Ten children, right, and their families. He takes his livelihood, right, all those who work for him and serve his family and every piece of equipment and animals and farming he had. And he left Job sitting around a fire with boils on his body and three friends that turned out to be really bad friends. And all Job did was work the formula. He was faithful. And God allowed this to happen. And here's the thing. Listen to what one of his friends says in Job 8. Bildad, right? The first of his friends to speak says this. Job's lost everything. Everything. Sitting alone, right? Scraping, Scraping boils off his body with a broken piece of pottery. And Bildad speaks. How long are you going to say these things, right? Because Job has given his speech. Your words are just blustering wind. Listen, if I'm going through what Job went through and one of my friends says what I'm saying is a blustery win, I'm punching him in the face, right? But this is what he says to him. And listen, listen to the mindset. Does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty pervert what's right? He says, when your children sinned against him, he gave them over to the penalty of their sin. So Bildad just tells Job, the reason your children died is because they were what? They were sinners. It's just the way it works, 
right? He goes on to say, but if you'll look to God, if you'll plead with the Almighty, right? If you're pure and if you're upright, right? If you work this plan, even now, he will rouse himself on your behalf and restore you to your rightful place. Your beginnings will seem humble, so prosperous your future will be. He said, goes, goes on to say, was that everything? Well, that was really quick. I thought it was longer than that, right? But you listen, if you read the book of Job, you hear this over and over and over and over again from Job's friends. Listen, you just didn't work the plan. The reason that God's punishing you is because A plus B always equals C. And Job's contention is, I did A, I did B, and God won't answer for why he gave me D, death and destruction. That's Job's contention throughout the whole, whole of the book. Right? Listen to what Isaiah says. Isaiah says this about God. I'm the Lord and there's no other apart from me. There's no God. How many of you believe that today that there is no other God? Say amen. Right? He says, I'm going to strengthen you. Though you've not acknowledged me, he says, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, men may know there is none besides me. He goes on to say, I'm the Lord and there's no other. He goes on. I form the light. I create darkness. Now everybody read this next line. Everybody in line. Palm Bay Deland Orman. I bring prosperity and there's only one God. And here's what he does. I bring light and darkness. I bring prosperity. And not only do I bring disaster, I do what? I create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. He says, you heavens above rain down righteousness. Now let the clouds shower it down. Let the earth open wide. Let salvation spring up. Let righteousness grow with it. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe to the one or woe to him who quarrels with his maker. Listen to this. This is the prophet sharing with you and I God's message. Woe to the one who quarrels with his maker. To him who is but a potsherd, a broken piece of pottery among other broken pieces of pottery that lay on the ground. He goes, does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? And does your work say he has no hands? I don't know about you, but when I hear that the Lord's ways are perfect, but the Lord creates prosperity and creates disaster... That can be a complicated thing to, to lean into, right? I mean, what if the perfect way that God has is creating calamity and disaster in your life? It's a lot harder to trust into that God. It's a lot harder to lean into that God. Job says this at the end of the book about God. He says, I know, God, that you can do what? All things. And no plan of yours is ever going to be thwarted. And then the next one is in Psalm, Right? Bring that psalm one up. It says this. Our God is in heaven. Everybody everybody, read that. He does where he pleases. How many of you still believe that God's way is perfect? Right? This is sometimes the way of God when it's perfect is prosperity. And sometimes the way of God when it's perfect is calamity and disaster. And it isn't whether or not you and I are going to try to figure out why God does that because we're never going to figure that out here, right? You can try to look for it. And if God is gracious, he might give you a glimpse into while it happened. 
But the reality is God does work on a plan. It's just his plan and it won't be thwarted. And you and I aren't going to always be allowed to know what that is. Question for you and me today is this. Are you going to trust him anyway? Are you going to trust him when the way is prosperous? Are you going to trust him when the way is full of disaster and calamity? What did Job say to his wife? Are we simply going to trust God? Are we simply going to follow God when things are good and turn our back on him when things are bad? It happens to so many people today in 2022. You see, Romans 8, 28 says this about a God who does what he pleases. We know that in what things? All things God works for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Listen, you and I aren't God and our ways aren't perfect. But you've already said you agree that God's ways are perfect. Which means sometimes those ways bring prosperity. Sometimes they bring calamity. Do you still believe that God will work all things together for good? And are you going to trust him in that situation? I think that's a challenge for all of us when it comes to God's ways being perfect. Right? Some of you right now are struggling with, I don't understand what God's doing. Listen, there ain't nothing wrong with not understanding what God's doing. And anybody that says to you, you can't ask God why, has never read their Bible. Lots of people who trust God ask why. The question isn't whether you ask God why. Because listen, I've asked God why and you know what? He never tells me. He's not going to be offended if you ask why. Here's what's going to be the problem if you lose your faith in him and stop trusting in him. That's when it gets complicated, right? So what God allows, we don't know. The question is, are you going to trust him anyway? And then here's the second one. God's acceptance. God's acceptance. So these people freak out, right? So when you read this thing, I don't know if you, you see it, but one of the things I always ask is, what made these people so mad? Right? Paul was just doing a good Jewish thing, and these people completely freak out, and I want to know what makes them so angry. Listen to what it says here in Acts. It says, the, the crowd that got freaked out. I don't know if you, listen, how many of you ever made somebody mad? You ever made anybody mad enough to rouse a crowd to make them crazy that they drug you away and wanted to kill you? No? All right. This is what happens. This is what these men are screaming. Men of Israel. So these Jews outside of Jerusalem are screaming at the Jews from Jerusalem. Men of Israel, help us. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere, right, against our people, the Jews, right, and our law, right? And this place, the temple. And besides, he's brought Greeks, see the word Gentile, into the temple and, right, and the temple area and has defiled this holy place, right? They had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had taken him into the temple area, right? So they, this is why we, I believe these people were from Ephesus, right? So these people are begging the Jews to help them kill Paul. Why? Because they believe that he is teaching the Gentiles against Jewish people, against the temple, and even allowing Jewish people to come into the, or Gentile people to come into the temple. And then Paul in Acts 22.1 says this to the angry crowd that was trying to kill him. 
The Lord said to me, in his defense, the Lord said to me, go, I will send you Paul far away to the Gentiles. Listen to their reaction. The crowd listened to Paul, basically to the point that he said this. And then it says, the crowd raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him. He is not fit to live. They wanted to kill this guy. And I want to know why. Let me explain it to you. Let me show you a picture of Herod's temple. So Herod began to build the temple in 19 BC. So the temple that was present in Jerusalem at the time that Jesus walked was the temple that Herod had built or begun to build in 19th century. And so you can see it's massive, right? The the temple's about 400 yards uh, north to south and about 300 yards east to west. It stands about 15 stories high. Right? There's at least five different court areas for people to gather inside of the temple. Right in here is the Holy of Holies, right? But the whole area is the temple, right? I want you to pay particular attention to this space right here. So if you look, you can see a wall that runs right here, and you can see a wall that runs right here. Everybody see that? Yes? Right? I hope you can see that in Palm Bay and Deland, right? But there's a wall that runs here. It's called the Sorek, right? Our transliteration is S-O-R-E-Q, right? It's the Sorek, right? Or the balustrade. And basically what it was, it was a wall that was about five feet tall. And it was built inside of this court room or this court area. And it was called the wall of hostility or the dividing wall of hostility. It was designed by the Jews to tell the Gentiles, this is as far as you go. No Gentile is allowed to get through this wall to get closer to the presence of God. As a matter of fact, along the wall, right, archaeologists have found this. And Joe's going to be so proud of me because I'm going to use archaeology, right? Right here, right? So this right here, right, is a cast of what was found on the wall there in the temple at the time of G or at the time of Paul, right? This is the temple that gets destroyed in 70 AD. This plaque is written in Greek and it's written in Latin, right? And I want to read to you what it says on that wall that said the Jews or the Gentiles couldn't pass it. Here's what it translates into. Foreigners must not enter Enter inside the balustrade or into the forecourt around the sanctuary. Whoever is caught will have himself to blame for his ensuing what? That's on the wall. In several places, that plaque is placed upon this dividing wall telling Gentiles, you are not allowed to get past this wall to be in the presence of God. And the Jews told the crowd... Paul was taking Gentiles past that wall into the temple. And they said, kill him. Kill him. See, here's the problem. All the way back in Genesis 12, when God picks Abraham, here's what he says. He says, Lord says to Abram, right? Who's later Abraham, leave your country, leave your people, your father's household, and go to a land I'm going to show you. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to make your name great. And you're going to be a blessing. He says, I'm going to bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I'm going to curse. He goes on to say, and how many peoples? All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. 
From the very beginning, when God chose Abram to start the process of fulfilling Genesis 3.15, God's intention was for the gospel always to be a blessing to how many nations? All nations. And if you go back to the dividing wall of hostility, listen to me. That wall was not in the biblical narrative to build when the temple was being built. You can go back and read the instructions of how the temple should be built. And that wall wasn't there. The Jews added it. Why? Because they hated the Gentiles so much, they said they didn't deserve to approach God. As a matter of fact, they believed it so much, they told any Gentile who did it, you're going to die. And you're only going to have yourself to blame. And the Jews believed that Paul was violating that. Here's the problem. Skip that Isaiah passage and let's go to Ephesians 2, right? Just skip that Isaiah and bring up Ephesians. Here's what Paul says, right? Paul says, therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles, listen, if you're in here, Palm Bay to land online, and you weren't born, right? You weren't born a physical Jew, right? Ancestry-wise, not a Jew. You're a Gentile. Right? That's what the word Gentile means. Ethnos, right? It's about all these different, different ethnicities. It's you, it's me. He says, therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called them circumcised, right? By those who call themselves a circumcision, that done in the body, the hands of men. He goes, Remember that at that time you're separate from Christ. Listen, this is my standing and yours, right? Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel. And he says, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. Listen, how many of you know Jesus this morning? Say amen, right? He says, there was a time where you was without hope. You had no hope of getting close to God. Zero he goes on to say this, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away, right, have been brought near through the blood of Christ. He goes on to say, for he himself is our peace. He's made the two one, has destroyed the barrier, listen to the language, the dividing wall of hostility, right, by abolishing in his flesh the law with his commandments and his regulations. His purpose was to create in himself, what? One new man. Out of the two, thus making peace. Here's what I want you to know. How many of you believe God's way is perfect? Right? Still believe it? Yeah. Here's the thing about God's way. It allows, right? It allows acceptance for how many people? All people. All people. What does that mean for you and me? That means that you and I, as people who were once far away, should never, ever ever practice prejudice toward anybody when it comes to them being accepted with God. And shame on anybody in here and anybody in the land and anybody in Palm Bay and anybody online who struggles with prejudice when it comes to people who can approach God. Listen, black, white, red, brown, rich, poor, right? Straight or gay, Right? Transsexual, transgender, you name it, whoever they are, are far away from God, but through Jesus can be brought near. Do you believe that? Say amen. Listen, it is our responsibility to not get in the way of that gospel. Too many believers practice prejudice when it comes to how they interact with people. If God's way is perfect, then God's way includes everybody, then God's people should reflect that way, which is to include who? Everybody. 
And here's the thing. A lot of these people don't look like you. They don't talk like you. They don't look like me. They don't act like me. They make me uncomfortable. They make me nervous. They make me afraid. You name the phrase. But the reality is there's no room for prejudice in the body of Christ. Zero. Listen, the gospel has no barrier anymore. There's no dividing wall. And any Christian, listen, any Christian, any Christian within the sound of my voice and the sound of God's word should be convicted to repent of the sin of prejudice if it's present in you. Because there is no prejudice. God is not a respecter of persons when it comes to the gospel. And for those of you that struggle, listen, I said this last week, I want to remind you again. For some of you who struggle with that, other people who have visited our church have heard it because they stood behind you in the line at the cafe or they've sat at a table beside you and they've heard you talk about them as if they were people who didn't belong here. Do you know who belongs here? Anybody, anybody. You know who belongs in Palm Bay, in Deland online? Anybody who's far away from Jesus belongs in a space where the gospel is preached. Amen. And we're just going to have to learn to get over ourselves, church. We're just going to have to learn to get over ourselves. We're going to have to learn to get out of our own way. Right? It doesn't matter what the crowd looks like. What it matters is what we teach and what we preach. And I guarantee you that we're going to teach and we're going to preach the blood of Jesus for all people. Right? God's way is perfect. Amen? It allows crazy stuff that sometimes is prosperous and sometimes is disastrous. And God's perfect ways includes accepting Everybody, everybody, no matter what. And then here's the last one, right? Yeah, you can clap for that. Let's be, right? Everybody talks about how bad the world's getting. Great. Listen, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I believe in the gospel. Give me dark over light any day, man, because the gospel works in dark. And let's be a church, whether we're in Palm Bay to land, here or online, let's be a church that walks and talks like a God whose way is perfect. Let's make sure that everybody, everybody gets treated the same. There's no prejudice because the gospel is for everybody, right? Let's quit messing around and acting like there's a man-made solution to the world's problems. There's only one solution to the world's problems, and that's to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? And we, we've got the message. Let's tell everybody, right? Here's the last one, God's answer, right? Paul says this in Acts chapter 22. He gets up. He's finally convinced the authorities to let him speak to these crazy people that want to kill him. If I had a chance to speak to people that wanted to kill me, I'd probably have a couple things to say, right? Paul says this to the crowd. Having received the commander's permission, Paul now stands on the steps and he motions to the crowd. When they were all silent... He spoke to them in Aramaic. Aramaic was their language, right? They perceived that Paul was probably just a thug, uneducated. And instead, he speaks in their tongue. And he says, brothers and fathers, listen now to my what? To my defense. Apologia in the Greek. Apologia, it's where we get our English word. Apology, Right? And in our world today, when you make an apology, you say these two words. I'm, I'm sorry. Dumb, right? I don't understand it, right? People say I'm sorry to me. Doesn't really mean anything to me, right? Maybe it's because I'm just a jerk. I don't know, right? I'm more of the George Costanza person, right? Just put your sorries in a sack, right? 
I like apologia. And here's what apologia is. Apologia is a legal term used by Greeks to define, listen, it's, it's defined as a reasonable, everybody say reasonable, reasonable defense. What it doesn't say, emotional defense. It doesn't say a loud screaming, right, ranting defense. It says, present a reasonable defense for my actions, right? Anybody ever ask you, why did you do that? Right? What were you thinking? And then you tried to give an answer and they said to you, you're just making excuses. I don't like that phrase. I'm not trying to make an excuse. I'm trying to explain to you why I did what I did. You can tell me what I'm done. It was stupid and it was wrong, but I'm going to tell you why I did what I did. That's called an apologia. That's what the original apology meant. It meant to just present your reason for acting stupid. Right? You just made that presentation. You may not agree with it, but that's what an apology it was. Paul gets up and says, let me explain to you reasonably. These people just tried to kill him and should have screaming at him. He said, let me make a reasonable defense for the reason that I approached the Gentiles. And they listened to him. Why is that important to you and me? Because Peter says this in 1 Peter 3.13, right? He says, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? He said, but even if you should suffer for it's right, you're blessed. Don't fear what they fear. and Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, okay, listen to this. How many of you believe that God's ways are perfect? Say amen. amen. He said, but set a, in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Listen to this. Always, always be ready or prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, right, to give the reason for the hope that you have. Go back, go back a verse, right? Always be prepared to give an answer. In the Greek, that is the word apologia. Always be ready to give your defense for the reason that you have hope in Jesus. Listen, there's going to be times you're going to ask to be, to, to make a defense. Listen, we live in a world that is anti-Jesus anti-Bible, right? It's not anti-God, but boy, it's anti-Jesus. You talk about God, people are going to be kissing their lips, pointing to heaven, right? Making the sign of the cross, right? There's millions and millions and millions of people believe in God. You start preaching Jesus, people aren't going to like it, right? Here's the thing. You might be asked to give a defense. Why do you, why, why aren't you going out with us tonight, right? Why don't you want to go to the strip club with us? Why aren't you going to do these things? Why aren't you going to be a part of this? And you may be asked, look at that, I'm just about done, right? You may be asked to give a defense. You may be asked to make a stand. Listen, your defense is this. It's not to scream. It's not to yell. Because bring that verse back up. Let's read the last part of that verse. He says, give the reason for the hope that you have. Listen, everybody, everybody here, Palm Bay to Land Online, listen, listen to what it says. But do this. Do your defense with what? Gentleness and... Oh! How nice it would be for Christians to learn to defend their faith and their hope without being a jerk. You know, you can make a defense for your faith without being disrespectful. You can do it by being gentle. 
He says, you do it and you keep a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ will be ashamed of their slander. But we're more concerned about winning the fight than we are representing Jesus. And for you, maybe this is the part that you need to hear. You believe that God's way is perfect, church? Listen, God's answer for an imperfect world and a world that's growing darker is your testimony. A gentleman that I met years ago in a preaching conference named Perry Noble preached at a large growing church called New Spring for years. And Perry, Perry was a cheerleader man. Perry celebrated victories in Jesus. And people in the brotherhood began to criticize Perry and say, oh, you cares about a number. And Perry said this line. He said, every number has a name and every name has a story and every story matters to God. Right? And here's God's great plan. In a world that is spinning out of control, you know what God's answer to the problem is? It's your testimony. It's your defense. You see, you matter. Right? You may not be asked by God, give me your opinion as to what should happen in the world. But you know what God's going to do? He's going to ask you to give your defense to the people in your neighborhood, to the people in your school district, to the people that you work, maybe even to somebody standing in line in the cafe. But he's going to ask you to give your defense with gentleness and respect so that you have a clear conscience. You want to represent Jesus in the world? Don't be a jerk. Don't post malicious, hateful, disrespectful things online. Don't post things that communicate to the world. Listen, if you're this or you're that, you're not welcome in the gospel. Listen, if it's going to cause, if it's going to cause people to struggle to come to faith, there are certain things you don't need to celebrate. It's just that simple. Do you really care that people spend an attorney in heaven? If you do, what are you willing to not tout to people so that they can feel safe? The Jews built a wall. They built a literal wall with signs on it that told Gentiles, if you cross it, your death is your own fault. We don't build a literal wall. But man, we build a lot of verbal walls, don't we? We post a lot of verbal walls on social media, right? And all of it communicates to people. Here's my testimony. If you're not like me, you're not welcome in my church. But if you're like me, you can be welcome. Listen. Your story's better than that. We're better than that. Man, our story is about the reason you have hope in Jesus. The reason for your faith. And you can do that reasonably and with respect. And here's the thing. It's that testimony that God uses to change the entire world. You think you don't matter? Your story has more power than you can ever imagine. But it's a 100% negated when you're not gentle and you got no respect. It means nothing to the people around you. Listen, I don't know about you, but there are things in this world, even stuff that happened here on campus last night, that make me wonder about things. But the psalmist says this, as for God, his ways what? It's perfect. Sometimes I struggle with that. Not struggling believing it, I struggle with accepting it, Right? Because there's just things that happen that are just incredibly difficult for me to comprehend, right? Sometimes God allows prosperity, and that makes him a good God. And sometimes he allows destruction, and that makes him a God I can't comprehend. And God accepts everybody. Everybody. I mean, he accepted me. He accepted you. God accepts everybody. 
And sometimes that don't make no sense to me, right? And God's answer to all of it is you and me. Tell your story. Just tell your story in the way that represents Jesus with gentleness and respect. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for this church. I'm grateful for the faithfulness of so many people over the years that have brought us to this place. I'm praying, I'm, I'm grateful for the, for the faithfulness of people that will move us from this spot to the next. So Lord, my prayer is, is that you'll make us a church that lives their lives as if they believe your ways are perfect. No matter what we're dealing with, no matter who you put in front of us, God will understand that you've given us a story to tell. And that story is the intersection of your, of your love for us and your gospel and the way it's affected our lives and impacted us, Lord. Lord, that teach us to be a church that accepts who you accept and that speaks in a way that reflects who you are. Lord, it's time for us to get serious about redeeming the people around us, redeeming this nation. We're never going to do it through politics. We're never going to do through setting rules and regulations. We're going to redeem this nation through the gospel. You're going to redeem this nation through the church. You're going to redeem this nation through the testimony of your people. Use us to that end, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.